All right, Trace, how are we doing this morning? How's everybody doing on this summer Sunday? We finally, summer entered into Colorado, hopefully. Hopefully it's been uh, a good one for you so far. Hey, I want to just recognize somebody really quick. Um, if you haven't noticed, we have an Irishman on staff now. And when you have an Irishman on staff, like we just want him to talk all the time. We just want to listen to him. So he did that voiceover. Can we give it up for Stu and the bumper and all the stuff that he's been able to do for us as a church? Well, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here and incredibly grateful to have each and every one of you. I've met some first-time guests today, and so let me just extend a special welcome to our guests if this is your first time. Man, we're honored that you're here and that you're a part of this, so thanks for accepting whatever invitation was extended your way, and I would love to like personally meet you, and so if you're not in a rush uh, after we're done with our gathering this morning, I'd love to meet you out at guest services, so uh, if you're not in a rush, come out there. I won't keep, keep you too long. Well, guys, today we are entering into a new series that we're going to be over the course of this month. And over the course of this month, or not this month, I'm sorry, this summer, we're going to be in this over the course of the summer. And we're going to be going through the entire Gospel of John together. But let me give you like a real quick framework of what this is going to look like. We're not going to go through it like a verse-by-verse type study. What we'll do is we'll take a couple chapters at a time and we'll pull a theme out of those chapters and teach on that theme and go a little bit deeper on that theme. For instance, today we're going to be talking about grace and truth, uh, but it'll be a little while before we get there because there's some things that I want to unveil and uncover for us when it comes to the Gospel of John. Now, this is a great time for you to jump into something that we call D1. It's our Bible study method here, and if you've never been taught that or this is new to you, uh, again, you can come to guest services, and we'd love to give you a little, like a little sticker that kind of goes through what that Bible study method looks like. And again, this would be a great opportunity because you can actually follow that uh, as we go through the Gospel of John together the, over the course of the summer. Uh, but really quick, let me also just take a moment and talk to you about why we've determined or why we've decided to call this particular series GLOW, which stands for Gospel Lived Out. And the reason that we're calling it GLOW is because the gospel, also known as the good news, right, also known as the saving grace of Jesus, that was never just meant for something for us to learn. It was always meant for us to live out. And so, yes, we come here and we want to learn together, but we want to make sure that what we're learning, we're actually living out. And then I want to read to you from Jesus when it comes to this aspect of living out the gospel. In Matthew chapter 5, he says this, You, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, we were meant to glow. We were meant to glow. Now, our main text for today is actually going to be in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, I would encourage you to turn them open or turn them on and find your way over to John's gospel beginning in chapter 1. And I need to let you know, like, this passage that we're going to be looking at today is actually an incredibly popular passage. And the reason why this passage is so popular is because the content that we find in this passage is so rich. Uh, probably six months, six to nine months ago, I actually encouraged my staff to memorize this particular passage of Scripture because of how rich its content is. Every Sunday morning, when I get up here and I do a sound check, I actually quote, every single Sunday, I quote from this particular passage of Scripture because of how rich its content is. And so I'll get up and I'll kind of speak its truth over why we show up here in the first place. And so what I want to do before we get there 
is I want to set some context for us when it comes to not only the the passage that we're going to be reading, but the entire Gospel of John. Now, context, you'll hear us talk about context a lot around here. Uh, Context is key. Context helps us understand more deeply what we're reading. And you've probably heard us say this before. A verse can never mean what it never meant. And sometimes when we don't have the proper context for what we're reading, we have a tendency to read into Scripture something that's actually not there. And so we want to make sure that we don't do that. So by having the proper context, context, we actually take out of the text what was originally intended for us to take its original meaning. meaning. And if you'll learn to do this by maybe you know learning about the, the author that you're reading about. So again, today, our author is going to be John. And when you start to learn about the person behind the pages, Scripture will start to come to life for you in a whole new way. And John's gospel is actually a perfect example. So let me build the context for this particular gospel. First, John's gospel was written much later than all the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It was written, it's kind of debated, but it was written sometime between 70 and 90 AD, which puts it between 40 to 60 years after the resurrection. And because John lived longer than any of the other 12 original disciples, he brings a different type of aged wisdom to the table. He brings more observations that he got to experience. He brings different experiences and things that he got to live through when it when it came to the church and kind of what, what happened in the first 40 to 60 years. And so before he sits down to write his gospel, he's seen things like the explosive growth of this new movement called the church. He, he's actually seen this happen. He's seen it take place, and he's seen the incredible persecution that's come on the church by both the, the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman government. He has seen miracles, many of them, but he's probably seen just as many martyrs. He's lost incredible friends like Peter, who was crucified upside down, and James, the brother of Jesus, who was stoned to death because he wouldn't shut up about talking about his brother that he for sure saw come back to life. John also lived long enough to see something called Gnosticism begin to take root in the church, and it was one of the church's biggest threats early on. Now, Gnosticism was this uh, teaching that they, they said that they followed Jesus, and they said they would follow the teachings of Jesus, but when you looked more deeply at what they taught, they were actually in complete contradiction to the life of Jesus. One of the things that they taught was that you achieved salvation from this higher level of superior, uh, spiritual superiority and divine knowledge, which directly dismisses our core belief as followers of Jesus that we are saved by grace through faith. Now, why do I take all this time to to build this? Because this is John's life. This is what John experienced. And so with the partnership of the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, John sits down to write his account of what he experienced and who he saw. And again, he was one of the closest followers of Jesus, but he's taking all of these experiences in as he sits down to write his gospel. And so not only do these first 18 verses help kind of build a foundation for the rest of his gospel. Friends, these first 18 verses actually can help build a foundation for our faith. So without any further ado, let's begin reading John's gospel in chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. He begins this way, In the beginning was the Word, 
And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In other words, Jesus didn't just show up on scene 2,000 years ago. Jesus has been with God from the very beginning. Through him, Jesus, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light, the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. But he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, the Jewish people, the Israelites, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Quick caveat, quick, quick side note here. Sometimes we like to say things like, we're all children of God. And I understand the sentiment behind that. But when we read John's gospel, it's not about an all-inclusive party. It's about people that have decided to put their faith in him, to believe in his name. He gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word, Jesus, he became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. God came to live with us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full, everybody say full, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, everybody say fullness. We have received grace in place of grace already given for the law was given through Moses. And again, context here. John has lived long enough. He's lived long enough life to see that the Jewish people, some of the Jewish, and if you were here when we went through Galatians, you'll remember this. Some of the Jewish people are trying to pull, even Jewish believers are trying to pull the early century um, followers of Jesus back into Judaism. And so you can kind of sense that as, as John makes this statement, for the law was given through Moses. That's where the law came from, and the law brought death. But now we've got something new, completely new, grace and truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God. Huge foundational statement right there. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Potentially, we just read the most defining passage of Scripture that points to who Jesus is. Out of this passage, we learn several things about who Jesus is. We learn that he is the Word, that he is the Word. And remember, the Word is not as much about pages that we read as it is about a person. You see, the pages always were meant to point to the person. And if you read those pages and you miss the person, you miss the point and the purpose of the pages. How many P words was there? That was, like, that was hard to get through. He's also the true light, the true light. And when I think about light, I think about reflection. When I think about light, I think about all the different things that we potentially reflect in our lives. Like we reflect our hobbies and habits, things that we love, things that we're passionate about. But we as followers of Jesus were always intended to be reflections of the one true light. We were supposed to glow. He's God. 
throughout John's gospel, you're going to see John point to the fact that Jesus and God are one, that Jesus is God. And again, because of all the experiences that John has had up until the point where he writes his gospel, he has seen people talk about Jesus. He's seen people, and again, whether it was in Gnosticism or somewhere else, he's seen people talk about, yeah, Jesus was a great guy, but if you don't make him God, John knows that you'll be misdirected when it comes to your faith. And so throughout his gospel, we're going to see John align Jesus with God more so than any of the other gospel writers. And then the last one that we're going to hit on, he is full of grace and truth. Now what I'd like to do is I'd like to spend the rest of our time actually talking about these two particular areas. And the reason why I want to do this, several reasons actually, um, throughout the entire Bible, this is the only time, the only passage where we see grace and truth put together. And we actually see it twice in both verse 14 and in verse 16. So there's something, there's some kind of significance to this idea of grace and truth that John understands that he wants to make sure that not only he, he mentions, but that he reiterates. And if I can back up for a second and talk to you about like who we are as a church. And by the way, if you are new, maybe you didn't know this, Trace, the name of our church, stands for truth and grace. We always have fun with the fact that the reason we didn't go with grace and truth because Ruth just doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? So trace is a big part of who we are. Truth and grace, I should say, is a big part of who we are. It's really the backbone of this church. And if I can give you just a little history, about three and a half, four years ago, when this was nothing more than a dream, there were a lot of things that we could have done. There were a lot of focuses that we could have had. And of course, we're going to focus on Jesus and we're going to focus on God's word. But I was noticing something happening in the church that was really burdening me. When I say the church, specifically the big church, the church in America. And what I was noticing is that you had a bunch of churches that were pursuing grace at the expense of truth. In other words, it's like, man, we're going to focus so much on grace. We want to reach lost people, and we want to reach broken people and people far from God, all things that you should do. But when you go too far with it, without bringing truth behind it, what happens is you begin to give license to sin. You begin to stop holding people accountable, and almost anything goes. And you'll see this happen in some churches in America. But then on the other side, you had these churches that were pursuing truth at the expense of grace, where it's like, man, let's just study God's word, and let's make sure everybody knows the truth of God's word, and they would push so hard in this direction that they would do so at the expense of grace. And those churches began to find it difficult to reach people where they were at, people that are broken, people that are far from God, people who don't feel worthy to walk through the doors of a church. And so what I started to notice was, man, if we're going to do this, like if we're going to start a new church from scratch, I want to make sure that we're pursuing what Jesus wants us to pursue. And John makes it clear. It should be both grace and truth. And so the way that I've described it before in the past is because we're not Jesus, we're still going to get this wrong. And so sometimes we'll probably err on the side of grace where something that we'll preach on or something that we'll do here as a church will err a little bit more on the side of grace. And sometimes the things that we talk about will err a little bit more on the side of truth, but our pursuit is always fullness. So instead of being lopsided where it's like, hey, let's just, let's just be all about God's truth or let's just be all about God's grace. Instead of being lopsided in one of these camps versus the other, we want to live here. And what happens is when you live here, there's a gap, right? There's always going to be a gap, and that gap is tension. And the reason that is tension is because if I get up here and I preach a sermon that's more seasoned with grace, and you're a truth person, you're going to feel a little bit of tension. 
And so what we've encouraged people that know, if you know you're more of a truth-leaning person, we want you to pursue grace. And then sometimes I'll get up here and I'll teach on something that's more uh, grace. Did I say this wrong? Which one am I on? Grace-centered truth. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll teach something that's more truth-centered. And then we'll have people that are more you know, in the camp of grace that will feel that tension because they naturally lean in the area of grace versus truth. I bet many of you, if not most of you, probably know what camp you fall in. I think we all uh, know that we probably lean more towards one or the other. So really quick, for just for the sake of illustration, how many of you guys know that you're more of a truth person? Just raise your hand. Let me see them. Get them up here. Get them up. Good. That's quite a few of you. Grace. How many of you guys? Yeah. Pretty, pretty good balance. Pretty good balance. But here's what I want to do. You see, we were never, and, and I've noticed this happens sometimes where people kind of pride themselves. We're like, yeah, I'm a truth person or I'm a grace person. And I think we need to be careful with that because anytime that we decide just to kind of camp in one of those areas versus the other, I think we're subjecting ourselves to some things that become unhealthy. Here's what I mean by that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some suggestions here. If you have a tendency to be more lopsided with truth, here's what I think. I think you'll be more quick to judge. I think you'll probably pride yourself in biblical knowledge. There may be a little Pharisee in you. I think you'll probably just struggle with pride overall more so than other people. I think if you're lopsided with truth, you're likely going to struggle with forgiveness and extending grace. Now, if you're more lopsided towards grace, I think sometimes you're going to fail to hold people accountable You'll often overlook sin or dismiss it altogether. You'll be quicker to make compromises and maybe more prone to go with how you feel about something versus what God's Word says on the matter. Do you see the danger? Do you see the danger of what happens when we decide just to land in one camp versus the other? It can't be that. It's got to be the pursuit of the fullness of both. But here's another error that I've noticed that happens when people communicate or talk on this subject, people in my position. They often talk about balance. And the reason why we don't talk about the balance of truth and grace here is this. These two glasses represent balance, but they're also representing low amounts. So we can be balanced in truth and grace, but still be representing low amounts of each. It's never been about balance. It's always been about fullness. Because when we pursue fullness, listen to me, when we pursue fullness of grace and truth, we better represent the life of Jesus. And when we better represent the life of Jesus, we better represent the love of Jesus. One of the things that I've noticed about my life when I look back at different moments, um, different seasons, I should say, there were seasons of my life where I naturally leaned more towards grace. And there were seasons of my life where I naturally leaned more towards truth. And so this week, as I'm kind of thinking through that, I'm like, why was that the case? And here's what I came to. And this may not be the truth for you, but I think there's some truth in this for all of us. I think it comes down to convenience. Here's what I mean by that. When I go back and I look at different aspects of my life when I was compromising consistently, in other words, I was living in sin, I naturally leaned towards grace because it was more convenient. I didn't want anybody calling me to a higher standard. I didn't want anybody calling me out. And so I wasn't expecting to call other people out or hold them to a higher standard based on the way that I was living my life. So I naturally leaned in the area of grace. That may be your story this morning. 
And then there were times where I was tenaciously pursuing Jesus and I was on fire in my faith and I was reading the word of God and praying and all my spiritual disciplines were in place and I naturally expected other people to do the same thing that I was doing. It's like, hey, why aren't you doing these things? And so there was a probably good chunk of self-righteousness inside of me, a little Pharisee growing inside of me during those seasons of my life. And so I naturally in those particular seasons leaned towards truth. Friends, this is why, listen to me, this is huge, I think. This is why grace and truth, they can't be subjective. This is actually why God's love can't be subjective, which we have a tendency to make it sometimes. We like to define things the way that helps us to feel more comfortable. Friends, God's love is not what you say it is. God's love is defined by who he is. Can I say it again? God's love is not defined by what you say it is. God's love is defined by who he is. And Jesus modeled that love, that love, by leading with both grace and truth. Maybe the best example of this comes out of John chapter 8. Now, we're going to be here uh, in a few weeks. We'll be in John chapter 8, so I don't want to take too much away from this story. But I think it's hard to dismiss it or to overlook it when we're talking about this subject because I think this particular story that I'm going to tell you is probably the best display of God's love and Jesus being both full of truth and grace. In John chapter 8, there's a woman who's pulled out of a bedroom. Literally, she's pulled out of the bedroom. She's in an adulterous affair, and she's thrown down on the dirt, and a bunch of religious leaders come, and they're ready to throw some truth at her. And so they pick up some stones, and they walk her direction, and Jesus notices what's happening, and so he steps into this scene, and he takes a stick maybe and draws a line in the sand. He's like, hold up, hold up, hold up, guys. I I see what's about to happen. And I think this would be fair. Hey, anybody that doesn't have any screw-ups in their life, anybody that, this is my version, okay, (laughs) should be clear about that. Anybody that doesn't have any mistakes, anybody that's never sinned, why don't you step up to the plate and let's, let's see your fastball first. And of course, everyone in that circle, understanding that they were all guilty. They drop their stones and one by one they walk away. And then Jesus does something that I think, again, is a beautiful model of what we're talking about this morning. He looks down at the young lady. He says, hey, look around. Who's here that's going to condemn you? Nobody. They all walked away. They dropped their stones. And by the way, neither am I. So now listen to me. And I imagine... Jesus in this moment, because I bet she's looking down at the ground with shame and guilt and brokenness. Maybe you've been there. And he he says, hey, look at me. I'm not going to condemn you either. But now go and sin no more. He led with incredible grace in the midst of her sin. It wasn't two years later. In the midst of her sin, in the midst of her mistake, Jesus extends grace but then he backs it up with truth. Friends, that is what unfailing love looks like. And maybe the best way that I could define what unfailing love is for you today would be this right here. The fullness of grace plus the fullness of truth is God's unfailing love. I was reading through the Psalms this week, and I noticed that over 25 different Psalms talk about God's unfailing love, but there was one particular Psalm that stood out to me. In Psalm 21, the psalmist says this, For the king trusts in the Lord. 
the unfailing love of the Most High will keep him from stumbling. It's God's unfailing love that keeps us from stumbling. But when our approach of God focuses too much on truth at the expense of grace or too much on grace at the expense of truth, you know what happens is we get lopsided. You know what happens when we get lopsided? We stumble. And when we stumble, we miss God's unfailing love. Are you starting to see how important this subject is? In one of John's other letters, he talks about this unfailing love a little bit differently. He talks about how God's love is perfect. He talks about this perfect love. And when he talks about this perfect love, he says it has the ability to cast out all fear. So listen to me. Maybe, just maybe, if we want to remove some of the fear in our lives, if we want to remove some of the worry and the anxiety in our life, maybe it's on the other end of us pursuing the fullness of grace and truth because when we do that, we arrive at God's unfailing love. Are you starting to see how important this is? And as we think about how we want to glow and how we want to be a reflection of the true light that comes only through Jesus, maybe we just need to pursue the fullness of grace and truth. When we talk about how we want to be a church that's living on mission to leave a trace of God's love everywhere we go, we want to make sure that that trace of love is always representing the fullness of both grace and truth. Guys, it cannot be one or the other. It can't be balance. It can't be our preference. It can't be what's convenient. Our pursuit always has to be fullness, the fullness of grace and truth. And listen to me, grace is not even grace when it's not followed with truth. And truth is not even truth when it's not followed or covered in grace. Maybe the most succinct way I could say it is this. The only way to be effective and faithful, the only way for us to be effective and faithful to the example of Jesus is to be both an image of grace and a voice of truth. When I think back to one of the most pivotal moments of my life, I was 22 years old. Some of you know this, have shared little bits of my story along the way, but uh, I was pretty jacked up growing up and made a lot of mistakes. And then when I, and I didn't have hardly any, if any, male uh, role models in my life growing up that were leading me in, in a good direction. And so when I became 22, I met a guy named John, and John was a part of the health club that I was a part of, and he was a very strong man of God, and for whatever reason, he decided that he wanted to be intentional, that he wanted to speak into my life. And so John made himself available, and he, man, he was so seasoned with grace, because at that point in time, I was still making a lot of mistakes, and he was so seasoned in grace in how he approached me and how he was guiding me through that, but he also knew when to punch me in the chest, and he literally did that a handful of times and I needed it. And I look back at that time, one of the most, listen to me, one of the most pivotal times in my life. And if John was just grace-filled all the time and he never backed it up with, with truth, especially when I needed to hear that truth, I don't think he would have been a pivotal moment in my life. Guys, one of the reasons why I can see why more people don't pursue the fullness of both and just decide, you know what, I'm just going to land in this camp or I'm going to land in this camp is because when you pursue the fullness of both grace and truth, it is hard. It's hard and it's messy and there's tension. We talked about that. And over the past three years of seeing this church culture come together where we've intentionally tried to pursue the messiness, you've heard us talk about, like we're a messy church, a place you can stop pretending and we're going to pursue this tension even though it's not easy. It's easier to land in one camp versus the other, but we're going to pursue this tension. I've learned a lot of things. I've learned a lot of things. There are some people that have come to our church and maybe they lean more towards truth and they will say things to us like, man, you're being too soft on sin. 
And it may be on this particular subject, whatever this subject is. But on the same subject, we have people on the grace side that look at us and say, you know what, you're being too judgmental against sin. It's like you can't win. But when you pursue the fullness of both, this is where we live. We live in this tension. Let me give you a couple of examples. Guys, as a church, we're always going to teach that abortion is wrong because all human life is precious in God's sight. Yep, okay. But if we, and I'm sure you've experienced this, when we position ourselves and posture ourselves to just sit on the sidelines and throw, throw stones at people that are in that struggle, that people that have made that mistake, what happens is we isolate people in one of the most hurtful and harmful times of their life. So we've made the choice that we're going to walk people through those hurtful decisions they've made. And even people that have made that decision, and some of you, I know that you've actually made that decision, and we're never going to uh, you know, give freedom, or maybe that's not the right word, we're never going to give license in that area to say that that's what God wanted because it wasn't. But at the same time, we want to always be welcome, welcoming we always want to welcome people to come into this room with us and to, to walk with you through that hurt and pain in hopes of finding, finding healing. Here's another example. Gay marriage is not God's design for a marriage relationship, but we will always accept and love those in the LGBTQ community while holding on to a Christian view of marriage. And there's tension there. And there's, I've got friends who come here to identify in the LGBTQ community. And there's tension there. And we just decided we're going to live in that tension. It's easier just to jump in one camp or the other. Sex outside of marriage. Here's my last example. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. The Bible calls it a sin against our own body. And many, listen to me, many if not most of our teenagers have actually made a compromise in this area. But it's, instead of shaming them, we're going to shepherd them into a healthier pursuit of sexuality as God has designed it. Grace and truth. Will we always get it right? Absolutely not, because I'm your leader, and I promise you I'm going to get it wrong. But we will continue to pursue it in hopes that we find, not the balance, but the tension of living in that gap of fullness. And it'd be easier it would. I mean, I've thought about this so many times. It'd be easier just to say, no, we're just going to be a truth-focused church. Or, no, 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 we're just going to be a grace-focused church. But if our target is always God's unfailing love, and you know why we need God's unfailing love so much? Because we fail. That's always going to be our target. The fullness of grace and the fullness of truth equal God's unfailing love. That is our focus. So I want to do this. I want to invite our band to come up on stage and lead us in one more song that I think represents this tension really well. It's the reckless love of God. The reckless love of God. But before they lead us in that song, I want to lead you through four statements that over the course of these three years of trying to figure out how to develop a culture that is centered in pursuing the fullness of both of these, I want to leave you with four statements that I think help capture the essence of grace and truth. Here they are. Number one, grace says, come as you are. This will always be the kind of place that says, come as you are, no strings attached. But truth says, don't stay as you are. Grace is God leaning in our direction. I love, there's a psalm that talks about how God leans down to listen, and so we, we should pray 
into our very last breath. God is leaning in our direction, but truth is us leaning in God's. And if you don't know the definition of grace, it's unmerited favor, meaning when God is leaning in your direction, you didn't do anything to deserve it. Unmerited, but freely given. Statement number three, grace says there's no condemnation. Truth says, now go and sin no more. Grace says, or I'm sorry, grace is what brings us forgiveness. But truth is what should lead us to faithfulness. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Let me pray for us. Lord, the, this is one of those really difficult areas. And God, I pray that in a way that only you can through the power of your Holy Spirit, that for those of us in this room that maybe lean too much towards truth, that you would convict us of that and show us what it looks like to, to pursue grace. And for those of us in this room that maybe lean too much towards grace, that you would show us what it looks like to pursue more truth in hopes that we would arrive at fullness. And we know we're not Jesus, so we're never going to arrive there completely. But God, that we would live in that tension of trying to pursue both, not making compromises because we're leaning too much towards grace and not being judgmental and condemning because we're leaning too much towards truth. But God, that you would show us the sweet spot of living in the tension as we pursue the fullness of both. And so, Lord, I pray that you continue to help us to build a foundation here on Jesus, which means we're building a foundation as a church on the fullness of grace and truth. God, would you help us continue that pursuit and continue to build that foundation for us? We pray this in your name. Amen.